I titled this sermon, In Time Living for the Glory of God. In Time Living for the Glory of God. And this is one of those sermons you want to take notes for. Uh, on the back of your bulletin, it will be very helpful if you're tracking along, filling in the blanks, because there's five points. That's a lot to remember, just uh, walking out the door without a bulletin. So make sure you've got something to write with and track along with me. Um, you'll remember that the, uh, the theme of this letter, as Peter writes it, is how to triumph in troubled times, how to triumph in the midst of trouble and increasingly troubled times. Uh, for those that he was writing to, uh, they were already experiencing persecution, and, and we know, looking back now, what was about to unfold. Tremendous persecution, as Nero blamed Christians for all of his uh, decisions and, and the fire and all the things. Christians took the blame and rampant persecution broke out. So God is using Peter to equip his people, his church, for persevering faith in the midst of trouble. And so too, today, he's doing the same for us. As we increasingly find our, our, our world darker and darker. Just a note on this, it's not going to get better first. First, it's going to get way worse, right? It's going to get a lot darker. And then the light will shine all the brighter. There is a coming kingdom. Our king will return. But while we wait, we live in dark days. We're called to shine. So what I'd like to do is, uh, is start here with this, this opening verse. And I just put this as kind of the, the first point because all of these five kind of flow out of this first call which is why this section is so specific. I think it, it really fits well to preach all in one sermon. Peter says this, The end of all things is at hand, therefore be. And then we're going to have five expressions of the people we are called to be. But let's just consider this statement. He says, at that point along the way, he says to these believers, The end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Now, what that does for us is it gives us a context for which to live the Christian life. We are living, my friends, in the last days. We are living in uh, an imminency, as it were, in time imminency. So when you woke up this morning, one encouragement that I would have for you each morning as you wake up is, Lord, this, this could be the day. This could be the day where it all kicks loose and you return and come and get your saints and call us up to your presence and then seven years of tribulation and then a thousand years of a millennial kingdom and then new heavens and new earth. Think, that could begin today. What Peter is saying by saying this is that in the course of redemptive history, there is nothing left to be done. It's, it's, it's ready. The time is ripe for the return of Christ. So, be ready, church. That's his call. We are to live with end-time imminency. That word is significant for us. Here's uh, from our statement of faith, the statement of the last things. We believe and teach the blessed hope, that is, the personal and imminent coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his redeemed ones. And his subsequent return to earth with his saints to establish his millennial, that is, 1,000-year kingdom. 
All mankind, both saved and lost, will share in a literal, physical resurrection. The lost, those who are unbelieving in Jesus Christ, to everlasting conscious torment in the lake of fire. And the saints to everlasting conscious joy and blessedness with the Lord in a newly created heaven and earth. That is your future, Christian. That is your future. There is an imminency with which we are called to live. Now you say, well, wait a second. Why would Peter say to these believers under inspiration that they are to live as if any moment Christ could return if it was so long ago? Doesn't that seem deceptive? And that's, that's missing the point. It's, it's the season we are to see. The reality is, is that we are to live in the, in the imminency of his return, such that it could happen today. That's his, that's his point. Now, at that point, Peter didn't know when it would happen. And it reminds us of this verse in Matthew 24, where Jesus called his followers to live in a very similar way. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so there will be uh, so will be uh, the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, what were they doing? Well, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. What's his point? He said it just seemed like it was going on, just like it's always been going on. There's no change. He's not going to come. But he did. And in that day, judgment fell. Until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and killed them all, swept them all away. So it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. It's going to be coming, and we are called to be ready because you, you won't know. He's going to come with a shout, with a trumpet, and he's going to grab his saints, and we will be together with him, and the, it kicks off the, all the events of the end times. The church has always been called to trim those lamps. Be ready. He could come in any moment. The groom is returning for his bride. This is the way we are called to live. So here's the way we think about this. It could happen today. It could happen next week. It could happen 4,000 years from now. The church is to be ready regardless don't pay attention to about how long, because the fact of the matter is, it could be any day. And that's the call for us. So what kind of people are we to be in these last days? In these last days. What is it that God wants from us as we wake up in the morning and we look around and we say, oh, it's dark. It feels darker. How do we respond to that? How do we interact with one another? Five things in view that Peter equips uh, the church with. Number one, we are to be holy and prayerful disciples or exiles in depraved times. And I keep wanting to use this word exile because we're reminded that we, my friends, are exiles. We are strangers in a, in a, in a foreign land. We are here uh, in the world, but we are not of the world any longer. We've been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, but sent into the world to shine. Right? So here we are, exiles in depraved times, to be holy and prayerful. Listen to, the, listen to the call. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be 
self-controlled, and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, note these two things in view. Self-controlled. Let's build that out. What kind of people are Christians to be? Well, disciplined, aware, paying attention to that which is right and that which is wrong, that which honors God and that which dishonors God. We are to be self-controlled. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Paying attention, not just giving ourselves to sin or following our passions like we once did. Not anymore. Self-controlled. And then sober-minded. This calls back where we left off the previous weeks. Not drunk. Not given to wild parties. Not, not um, allowing anything to cloud our thinking, but sharp, aware, paying attention, alert, staying tuned in. Because we live in these last days. Let me show you where we left off before we came into this uh, section. For the time that is past suffices for, what, for doing what the Gentiles want to do. That is, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same, uh, the same flood of debauchery. And what do they do? Well, they malign you. Holy, my friends, set apart from the darkness, pure, obedient, pursuing, tenaciously disciplined lives. What does this mean? It means we got to have a backbone. It means we don't just drift along with the culture. When all of your friends, kids, watch a show and they're raving about it, and they're not engaging their minds to discern, does this honor God or not? Guess what you are called to do, Christian? You were called to say, wait a second now, wait a second. Is this show going to honor the Lord? Does this show uh, portray the kinds of things, encourage the kind of things that honor God? If not, guess what? I don't need it. I don't need it. I'm an exile. I'm a stranger. I don't have to fit in and drift with the world in the flood of debauchery that they embrace and cheer. It means when in the workplace, everyone is excited about this or talking in this way, has this tone, the believer stops, holds on now, self-control, sober-minded. Let's assess this. I don't have to just go with the flow. Have a backbone. Take a stand. Be men and women, boys and girls of conviction. Obey the Lord. We need this more than ever, my friends. The pressure is ratcheting up. It's getting harder and harder, isn't it? We need to stand firm, therefore, and trust the Lord. Stand out. Be in exile. Hmm. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Now, what does this have to do with prayer? For the sake of your prayers... We've seen in 1 Peter already a couple of times how if you are living in sin or living in such a way that you are dishonoring God and disobeying Him, mishandling what He has assigned to you, men in marriage, um, taking the umbrella and, and beating your wife over the head with it rather than sheltering her with it, well, what does it say there? It says the Lord will disregard your prayers. Your prayers will be hindered. Well, that's... 
That's a significant connection for us. We should see this. So as we do these things, there is a connection here with prayer. We are called to live in such a way that is consistent with our prayers and uh, doesn't uh, put barriers in our intimacy with God. For instance, if you choose to live with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and you wake up in the morning and you feel the conviction of God on your conscience, it's a Sunday morning, and you feel that conviction, guess what? You're a lot less likely to find yourself in church. You see the connection here? Your worship of God, your delight in God, your communion with God is very much impeded by a path of sin that you have chosen to walk in. And I would warn you, that is an extremely dangerous situation to find yourself in. Do what needs to be done to obey the Lord. Chase Him with all your heart. Don't allow anything to come between you and your communion, your intimacy with God. It's not worth it. It's dangerous for the sake of your prayers. Here's a, an example from Luke as Jesus is teaching. He says, watch yourselves. That's very similar language here. Be discerning, be self-controlled, be sober-minded. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. You see the same echo here. Jesus' own words. I think Peter is, is hearing the echo of what Jesus taught him. And with his own ears, he heard from Jesus. And then he's putting it in his words. Such that that day would come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But you, as it were, believers, Christians, stay awake. That is, stay alert, be sober-minded. Doesn't mean never sleep, okay? <laughs> that would be a nightmare. Uh, stay awake at all times. You see the next word? Praying. Praying. The connection between sober-mindedness, self-control, and prayer is, is absolutely essential. Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and stand before the Son of Man. We are to be a holy people who depend upon God. We must pray for the strength that we need. It comes from Him in order to stand in dark times. Holy exiles then devoted to prayer. What do we pray for? Well, we pray for discernment. Lord, help me know what is true, what is right from wrong. Help me know what pleases you in an age that is calling evil good and good evil. How do you know that? Well, you come to your Bible in the mornings and you say that prayer, open my eyes. Then I may see the wonderful things of your law. Land them in my heart. I want to obey you. Lead me in your commandments. We pray for strength, for wisdom, for purity, for confidence, for encouragement when you're down, when you're discouraged, when you're feeling the, the compromise all around you. What do you pray? Lord, strengthen me. Encourage. I need you. I need you. Lord, bring the peace that I feel slips away whenever I watch the news, whenever I see these things taking place in my local community and they just they unsettle me. Give me peace and make me bold. Make me bold. 
Help me to persevere and protect us, Lord. Friends, all of these things are right to pray every time you walk into church. Every time you're coming, pray that for the worship team. Pray that for me as I preach, for the elders as they shepherd, for we as as members of the church to love one another in this way. We live by prayer. It is the air that we breathe in our relationship with God. We are dependent people called to be holy in dark days. What kind of people are we to be? Well, number two, we are to be soft-hearted exiles in hard-hearted times. Soft-hearted, tender-hearted, full of love. Listen to the call of Peter. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, we've covered that word earnestly uh, in Romans. You remember that call in Romans 12? Love one another earnestly. It means not if it works, not if you happen to have an opportunity. No, it's earnest. I, I see you. I love you. I find ways to pursue and express that love. I am passionate about it. It's not just if I have time. It is I'm going to love you. Above all, keep loving one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, what an amazing thing that is. Shows up in a number of passages. That love covers a multitude of sins. Now, what what we've got to say, first of all, is that is not hiding sin. Love doesn't hide sin or call it less than what it is. But when someone else sins against me, I have a decision to make. Here's what our culture is increasingly defined by. Hypersensitivity. So easily offended, quick to cancel, short-fused, short-focused, ready to walk away. To sum it up, snowflake culture has set in, my friends. That's what this is. The fragility of our times is laughable. It's silly. Oh, you just committed violence against me with those words of disagreement with what I believe. No, I didn't. I, all I did was just disagree. That's like It used to be normal to do that. Now it's like, Actual violence. How silly. How are we ever going to have any kind of interaction with people if this is the, the starting point? How are we to be together in a culture like this? Very differently. That's the call. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That word devotion. Oh, there's a word. Be devoted to one another. Look around, church. This is your family right here. Be devoted to one another. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Not in a snowflake way. But in a loving way, tender-hearted, I know, I know, and I love you still. Forgiving one another. Oh, there it is. A culture that is so easily offended is losing increasingly the understanding of just the simplest concept of forgiveness. This critical race theory garbage has no category for it. No category. For forgiveness, the release of the offense suggests the only way to deal with it is with compensation, 
It's silly. How are we to forgive as God in Christ forgave you? That's the bar. Hmm. I like how Wayne Grudem put it. He said this, Where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion Every action is liable to misunderstanding, and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. At the very heart of this is love. Love. Love as you have been loved. So, when someone steps on your toes, or responds in a way that is just not right, you've got a decision to make. Now, I'm not saying we forsake Matthew 18. If a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. There's very much a time for, do, for doing that. But there are times where different people with different personalities and different uh, inclinations and backgrounds, they are just going to bump into each other. And when that happens, you've got a decision to make. Am I going to bear with this person and overlook an offense? You can do it. You can do it. Even a significant one it can happen. We have a decision to make. Are we going to be a people of grace? Or are we going to be a people who are quick to just drop the hammer? How dare he say that about me? I can't believe she responded that way. That is it. I'm done with her. Cancel. You feel the instinct? The Christian community is to stand out from the world around us. It also has everything to do with, with how we engage our world. We can overlook things. We can, we can look past differences. We can all of a sudden find a way to get to the main thing, which is not politics, is it? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That is what our world needs. That is what our nation needs. Above all else, it's Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. So earnest and authentic love, self-forgetful, Loyal, there's a word, thick-skinned. Friends, we should be thick-skinned Christians, soft-hearted and thick-skinned in love. Slow to anger, quick to forgive. Oh, I love this church. One of the things I see on display is this in action all the time. We just see it constantly. We are very different people. We, we come from all kinds of different backgrounds. we got personalities across the full range of the spectrum. And we're family. We're together. It's not only the call, it's the opportunity. One of the ways they will know that our message is legitimate is by the way we love one another. And that includes overlooking petty little offenses and little things that just you can just load them up on your shoulder and say, you know, I'm, I'm just going to let that go. I'm not even going to bring that one up. Just, I love you. Yesterday, there were some folks that came to the, the, the memorial service I hadn't seen in years. And some of those folks, well, some of them didn't, didn't like me very much years ago. And, and I just purposed to just, I just want to show love and grace. Love and grace. And it, there's such freedom, my friends, and just loving, liberally loving. Show grace and love and kindness to everyone. Keep short accounts. 
There is freedom in keeping short accounts. No bitterness. Why hang on to anything? You don't have to hold it. He forgave me, and he removed it as far as east is from the west. Why would I hold anything? I've been forgiven. Oh, what an opportunity we have. Number three, hospitable exiles in cold and isolated times. Have you noticed this? I've felt this since COVID even, the lockdown and kind of the, the psychology of our culture has been, it feels increasingly isolated. I think one of the issues that's happening with suicide increasing is the connection here with this. Just increasingly isolated times. People are, are, are never more connected on social media and at the very same time never more isolated. We know more about one another, but we know one another less. How in the world? What a weird dynamic that is. Not for the Christians. No. In cold and isolated times, Christians and the Christian community is to be open-armed, warm, welcoming, smiling, in tangible ways, showing the love of God. This is an expression of the love that was called for in verse 8. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. What a simple little command. Now, have you noticed how often the command to show hospitality shows up in your Bible? And, and really, how easy it is to be like, oh yeah, but no, but what, what does that mean? How do we do that? That's a command to you, Christian. How are you obeying that command? How did you obey it this past week? How about this past year? What does it look like? You know, this is a requirement for elders, is that they be hospitable. Let me give you some build-out on this call to show hospitality to one another. Hospitality is practical expressions of love. It's just like, like you can see it and, 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 and hold on to it. It's, there it is. It's, it's a practical expression of love. It begins with, I see you. It, you matter to me. I want to bless you. That's what's happening in the heart. Love. love I, I love you. I care for you. Now, now then, well, okay, so that's in my heart, but what do I do? Well, I find a way. I want to find a way to make you know my love, to make you experience that love. I want to bless you in a tangible way. could be a meal made and delivered to someone who's going through a season that's difficult. It could be an invitation. Why don't you just come over? Let's hang out. No agenda. Let's just be together. We want to be together. We want you to come to our place. Let's just hang out on a Friday. It could be Someone needs a situation, they're in a situation, they need a place to go. Come crash at our house. Come use our car. You know, how can I help? What can I do to meet a need that you have? How can we help in tangible ways? Someone needs help moving. Someone needs help uh, clearing junk out of their backyard. We're going to be working and helping Chris and Shanda here in a little bit. Chris had a leg amputated here. So what can we do? This is hospitality. How can we bless we love them. We want to take care of them. We want to show that with hammers and, 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 and rakes. You see, that that's hospitality. Oftentimes, hospitality is connected with the home. It's connected with the home. There are two different ways to think about the place you live. 
You can have a hideout mentality, which tends to be the world's thoughts. You hide out there. It's where you go and you shelter yourself from the world. You reco- and, and let me tell you, there is very much a time for that. A place where you just say, okay, man, we've poured out, we've worked, we're going to come back, we're going to re- relax and recover, recharge the batteries. Absolutely. However, in the Christian community, that hideout mentality is not how we think of our home in, in connection to one another. Really, the call is to a a hospital mentality. How can my home be a hospital? How can I turn my home into hospitality? That's, it's in the word. It's a hospital, a place to bless, a place to, to, to have you come and just rest. Be served. I want to take care of you. Come over tonight. We're going to make food for you. We're going to give you a, a fun night together. We're just going to bless you. One of the goals that we've had Jenny and I, for a while, is we want to try to move as many of you through our living room as we can. We, we love having people over because this is at the heart of it. We want you to be blessed. Sometimes we have people over spur of the moment. Sometimes we plan groups, and we're like, let's put some people together. We'll put them in our living room, start it up, and then watch it happen. And then you guys just are hanging out, talking, and we're like, sweet, you know? But... That is one of the ways to think. How can we leverage our home? Now, we've been doing that since we got married. We had a tiny little apartment. What was it? 720 square feet, something like that. We had a small group meeting there. We needed like a a double-decker couch, basically, to fit everybody. I didn't ever build it, but I thought, how cool would it be to have a two-level couch and maximize the space? It's not about the decorations. It's not about the food. It's about the people. It's about the people. If you wait to have a Martha Stewart presentation, you're missing the point. Just have pizza. That's what I always say. Let's just have pizza. Keep it simple. Unless they're gluten-free, then you got to work on some stuff, you know. (laughs) You want to bless, not curse. People. God's people are to be defined by this. Think of all of the things he could have said in the end times, exiles, this is how you're to live. Number three on the list is hospitable. Pursue this command, believer. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality even to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I like that word. I rarely use that word, but it's in your Bible, unawares. I wonder if that's happened to people in this room. If, if folks you've had in your home, serving them food, caring for them, blessing them, maybe God was doing something special. Who knows? That's Hebrews 13. That's New Testament action right there. That's in view. Could happen. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Oh, he just raised the bar. Okay. What is this? Well, this is the expression of love, connecting in. It's not raw action. It's not just check it off the list, go down the line, do it, because you're commanded to do it. That's never how the Lord commands his people to walk from the heart, always from the heart. Jesus drove it back to the heart constantly. Do this from the heart. The love is where it begins and it moves into action. So you might think about hospitality as a chosen inconvenience 
for the expression of love. Think of it that way. I choose inconvenience to show love to you. If that means that my carpet gets a stain because someone tipped their glass over, let it be, right? I don't care as much about the carpet as I care about you. You see what I mean? Think in those terms. Chosen inconvenience to express love. Don't grumble. No gongizmos here. Bless one another from the heart. That's the call. Number four. Oh, wait, before we go there, listen to Jesus. This is an epic passage for us to remember. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom, elect believers, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave, me, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. In prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous, that is, the saints, made righteous through Christ, will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Listen to what he says. The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, look around, look around. Even the least of them, that means the kids, that means the people that society would forget. Even the least of them, that person that, that, that people struggle to get along with, yes, yes, them too. You did it to me. There is, from Jesus, a promised future blessing through the expression of hospitality and love in tangible ways. Jesus says, you are, are blessing me when you bless your brothers and your sisters in this way. That's a call. Number four, ministry-minded exiles in selfish times. Oh, we live in times where the schedule is always full. It, it is, isn't it? Oh, everything's so busy. The schedule's always full. Well, when you're a believer, there are priorities that, that come in front of the list that you would tend to make if it was just all about you, because it's no longer all about you. It's about the Lord. It's about His people. It's about His purpose in your life. Ministry-minded exiles in selfish times. Verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So not everyone has the same gift, but you have a gift, believer, and you're called to use that gift. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Now, I'm, I'm breaking this up because I wanted the, the, the last point to stand, but he goes on to say it's about God's glory, not yours. You see the push of this. The emphasis is this is about God. Whether you're speaking, it's about God. Whether you're serving, it's about God. Not self-centered living. It's not a man-centered life that we are called to live. It is a God-centered life. Spiritual gifts, just a 
A reminder here, I, I preached through these in detail in, in the 1 Corinthians series. Uh, every single believer has been given a spiritual gift in the moment of salvation. This is a, 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 a supernaturally bestowed gift given by God for you to be used then, uh, em- employed by the power of the Spirit in your life, given specifically for the purpose of building up the body of Christ, building up the church, and given to be wielded, used, employed for the glory of God. Now, oh, how Satan likes to take this and turn it into something crazy, self-promoting, self-gratifying. It's all about me, man-centered world. That's no surprise. That's our culture. Not in the church, though. No. In the church, the pastor comes humbly before the people with joy and confidence because he speaks not him but the oracles of God. Come, let's come together. Come gather. Look at what we have here, my friends. We have heard from the Lord, and I declare, thus saith the Lord. Those who serve, serve humbly in the power that he gives for his glory. Romans 12, 4 through 6, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So the Lord hasn't given everyone in this room the same gift. Otherwise, we'd be in trouble. We'd have really clean bathrooms and no one on the stage. Or the opposite, which may be even worse to consider. God has given all kinds of different gifts to be displayed in love supernaturally through the strength He provides for the building of the church. The gifts fall into roughly two categories, I would say. You can see them here in this verse. Stewards of God's very grace, the first category would be speaking gifts. Speaking gifts, those who are teachers, Preachers, those who are given admonition work uh, to raise up, to, to teach, disciple, equip, lead in, a, in, a, in maybe upfront way. Another expression of the gifts falls under serving gifts. And my goodness, I can just say, yesterday at the funeral, uh, man, what an awesome display of the church at work, wasn't it? It was so special. We had ladies here for hours in the kitchen serving working on the meat and the turkey and, the, and that mustard. Wow, that was good. And, and man, making sandwiches. And, and, and what was that about? That was hospitality in action. Those were gifts. They weren't on the stage. In fact, many of them were behind the scenes, and most people didn't even know who was doing that. Praise God. They were in there for the glory of God to bless the Edmonds family. And then we had a number of people on the stage, different people sharing, speaking for the glory of God. God's church is not the same, and that's by design. We have been put together as a body to serve for His glory. This is a servant-hearted work, ministry-minded. So the question then is, Christian, number one, are you part of the church? Number two, are you using your gifts to build her up? to edify, to strengthen, to leverage what God has so wonderfully bestowed upon you to do and then leverage that for His glory. 
Here's the thing, just a note about this. We used to do these spiritual gift inventories, like six or eight pages of questions, and it was like, um, try to diagnose, you know, all the list of gifts. I wouldn't waste your time with that. Honestly, that's kind of like uh, putting the the Holy Spirit on a thermostat. This doesn't work that way. Ask yourself, what do you love to do? And then how is it that what God has wired into you can be leveraged to bless the church and build her up? And then talk to us about it. We can find expressions of that, find ways to plug you in. There's all kinds of ways to serve. God wants you to use your gifts for his glory and be a blessing in that way. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So, Spirit-empowered, glad-hearted, vibrant service in what I would call marathon-like ministry in the church. Why that last part? Well, we're not on a merry-go-round. We don't just hop around from church to church. We are called to be long. Come home. Be here. Plant your feet. Join the church and then run the race. Stop dating the church and get married. That's the call. The benefit for the church is we get you fully, not one toe in the water, all in for the long haul. It's not just good for pastors to think this way. It's good for members to think this way as well. Not as soon as they say something, I hit the door and I'm gone to the next church. That is a Whatcom County instinct that must be rejected. Land, stay, serve for His glory. Number five, God-centered exiles in man-centered times. God-centered exiles in man-centered times. And oh, how this shines. How this stands out. The opportunity we have, even in church work, this shines because there are many churches that are so centered on other things besides God. Not so for God's people. The goal In order that, in everything, I mean everything, from cleaning the toilets, to making the sandwiches, to preaching the gospel, to running the media or the sound, and and helping with the parking lot, mowing the grass, and everything in between, in everything, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Why? To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. That will never change. It is his due, it is his right, it is only fitting that we live in such a way that will be consistent with how we will live forever. Let it be, so be it, the amen adds a stamp. God-given gifts for God-ordained glory. That's what I say. Remember Ephesians 2.10? These gifts, this, this grace that have been called, you've been ordained preordained, predestined to do good works that God has prepared beforehand that you would walk in. Think of that. Not only did he predestine to save you, he predestined that once you were saved, there were expressions of his glory ordained for you to walk in. Ephesians 2.10. How ugly it gets when this is lost. One of the surest ways to, to spot false teaching is to find self-promotion in the church. A church that builds off of self-promotion or book sales or whatever it may be 
is a church ripe for false teaching and problems. God's people are to be humble under His greatness and glory, pointing to Him at every opportunity. Whether you eat or drink, Paul says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's pretty expansive, isn't it? Drive your car or your tractor or your uh, kids, you know, little kids' toys with the wheels, you know, you pedal along. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. To the glory of God. Drive that thing for the glory of God. God-centered exiles. Serving a God-centered God in every aspect of our lives through Jesus Christ for the glory of God. There's a vision for your life, Christian. Response this morning, I just thought of two verses. Two verses. The first verse is this. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. I guess that's two verses right there. At least three verses. (laughs) For believers in the room... Listen to Paul's call. This is the echo of Peter right here. Look carefully then how you walk. Be sober-minded, self-controlled, alert, stay awake, tune in. Do not walk as unwise but as wise and make the best use of time because the days are evil. Don't just float along, Christian. Be in exile. Stand out. Pursue this list that you've been called to today through God's word. The second verse I want to draw your attention to is this. For any who would be in this room who are not believers in Jesus Christ, I would ask you this. Are you ready to meet the king? Because let me tell you, he could come back today. And you do not want to meet him if you are not ready. If you are in your sins, you have not repented of your sins, you are not ready to meet that king. He is coming. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Don't be in that group. Turn from your sins and run to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Embrace Him. Ask the Lord to save you from your sins and set you on the rock of Jesus Christ, and you will be ready, equipped to meet your King. That is how John says these words. Even so, let it be. So be it. Lord, as he says at the end of Revelation 22, come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, come. We're waiting for you. We can't wait to see you. Could be today. Make sure that you are in that group, longing for his return, not this group who wails when he comes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for not only saving us, but then giving us the equipment we need to live in such a time as this. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being yours in this time, that that there is nothing left that needs to be done in the work of redemption before your return, Jesus that we live with the imminent anticipation of your coming. It could be today. Oh, Jesus, come, we pray. Come soon. The days are dark. And while we wait, find us faithful. Oh, God, find us working. Find us to be the people that you are calling us to be here. Help us. We need you in this 
We are not instinctive in this. We, we are being refined and remade from the inside out. Rewire us to these things, we pray, O oh God. And then help us to have the courage to live in this way consistently, no matter what. And as we do, O oh God, make us shine for your glory and the confirmation of the goodness of the gospel that has changed us. The good news that we hold out to any and all. Come, come all. There is a Savior of sinners. He saved us. He can save you too. Oh Lord, we pray that you would use us to that end for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.